My grandfather told me that uh, I'm supposed to be the, the friend of the enemy. I've never liked that. Because I don't like enemies, period. The worst enemy is the one who looks like me. And so all I can say is that uh, I feel very humbled to know that in the middle of the confusion and the chaos, there are some of us who are sensitive to the constant calling of the ancestors, even though they don't know how exactly to go about lending themselves so that the ancestors can do what they know best. The thing that I learn most among the people of my nation, the Dagara nation, was that every one of us who comes into this world come here because we have a purpose to fulfill. And that no one in the land of the ancestors is authorized to come here on vacation. And so if that is true, it's not right that so many of us walk down the street wondering why they are here. What I know about that purpose is that its own power is capable of changing whatever rule anyone put together to serve him or her. And we live in a, in a world where the rules are written by someone else. And we know very well that we don't embrace our own power by following the rules of someone else's wrote because they were written so that we never win. That shook me the first time I heard it. I said that uh, the darkness around mm. us is deep. <laughs> that the darkness around us is deep. I don't understand the details of that darkness. I can only feel it. Well, I find myself uh, seeking day in and day out is truly a sense of home. Of course, uh, some people may say, well, but you have a village back there. Uh, why don't you stay there? My own elders have reiterated over and over each time I go home. There's no chance left for the indigenous world to survive. The only way it can live is in the heart and soul of the very culture that killed it. Mm. So each time I find myself in a place that is no longer the, uh, the high rise and the freeways but a place populated by trees and waters, something that looks natural. That's what comes to my consciousness.
the home that perhaps we're all seeking is going to be found. Because for some reason, I keep seeing in each one of you an exile. Mm. Someone who has been betrayed mm. profoundly. Mm. And the gathering of people who are betrayed can yield tremendous healing, tremendous energy. And so hopefully, my ambition is that this become the gifts that we offer to one another. You were saying it's powerful for people to be in a multicultural conference together mm -hmm. and in, when they in, encounter that sort of tension, mm -hmm. um, instead of getting in a fight to stay with that tension, right. and then at that point they could become connected. But yeah. until then, anyone, you said, anyone who says we're all one mm -hmm. is probably lying. I thought that was an interesting statement. Uh, sorry for being that blunt. It's yeah. just uh, out of experience. You know, yeah. I've noticed that, uh, you know, what is the chemistry of being real? It really has to do with uh, uh, being able to face up to differences and still survive. Mm. Realizing that, in fact, uh, even where we think there's only uh, differences, there might be similarity there. And when I, when I got the experience that really brought this to, uh, to focus, I realized this is a really powerful place for enriching the soul and the spirit of a person who is seeking uh, world spirituality or, or human spirituality, not localized uh, doctrine and dogma to hang on to as a self-defining principle. When many cultural, many people from various cultural backgrounds come together, there is a really challenging opportunity there. It is more than the sum of the people who are meeting. It is an, it's an entire history, uh, both uh, spiritual and material, So the, the, the whole environment, the trees, the plant, the landscape, are all there. And so do I therefore focus on an individual opinion about something that might in the end appear rather petty in the grand scale of thing, or I try to read beyond um, a person's tempestuous language as a, a struggle? to translate a message that he or she is carrying from far beyond. Eventually, the look to see the spirit behind any kind of gesture or attitude is a lot more enriching than to take things as face value and place value judgment based on what you can touch, smell, you know, sense, you know, using the five senses. You know. When all is said and done, we're like children in the same compound, uh, trying to figure out how to be with one another mm -hmm. and having the desperate feeling that there's no daddy or mommy there to tell us, this is how you do, you're supposed to behave. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's is a kid uh, in, the, in the schoolyard or in the, you know, in the village uh, circle, mm -hmm. uh, trying to be seen and to see. Well, there is uh, indeed an African saying that uh, 
be careful when a naked person offers you a shirt. Uh, uh, and there are indeed a lot of a lot of talk about aids, economic aid, uh, assistance. But behind this assistance, we should wonder what is standing there. It is important, perhaps, that we realize per, that this can only be seen in a context in which we have reunited with our ancestors in a way that give no doubts about the source of our true power. And when you know that, you can also tell the true meaning of a gift that is coming from a person who is, whose soul is starving and is dying right in front of you. See, the dollar bill is not symbol of, abund of, a, of abundance. It is, in fact, symbol of scarcity. If we're looking for abundance, we have to look at somewhere else. This culture is notorious about structure and has it so well ordered that uh, it, it warped to a fault. It takes many forms, but some of the most visible form is a delegation of power and authority onto someone who might be even deep down more scared than you. Uh, and having or expecting that one to lead when in fact Whenever you think you need a leader, if you had the idea of going to a mirror, you would see the leader you're looking for. Mm. We don't always come together like this in order to hear the voice of one person telling us uh, something that is, in the end, maybe an opinion. We come here as if we're going to a symphony, uh, to a concert. Some of, it, some of us are sopranos, others are altos, the tenors are there, and the, the, the grandfather ba uh, bass is always lurking in the back. Either way, there is a specific gate that we occupy every time we join together like this. This is what I call, I like to call community. I like to call it community simply because uh, what it says is that uh, it is only in the presence of others that we can get to witness the kind of gift that we have. See, when hostility is directed at you, Responding to hostility the same way as the hostile person is actually feeding the very energy that has trapped the hostile person. And it means, therefore, that this response cancels out the very blessing that you had received. Let me put it another way. The best fight against a person that hates you 
is not to hate the person back, but it is to create a medicine that would cancel out the energy of hatred directed at you. This is where the whole idea of talisman comes from. And this is where the whole idea of creating shrines and working with the symbols and metaphors that you put in that shrine, the four. It always begins with the understanding of the very vibration that the person is, uh, is experiencing. Because hatred is an energy that is independent of the person experiencing it. It's something that enters you, takes you over, and you become a full servant of it. So talismans, the births of talismans come from an understanding that to any energy, you can oppose another energy. And at the energetic level, there is a natural understanding. So someone who is caught in the whirlwind of, uh, uh, of hatred or hostility, that person can wake up one morning not remembering anymore that he was feeling what he felt before but realizing that there was another person inside of him, and therefore that's not him. See? At the bone level is that uh, even though we may be reckless in this lifetime, we become a whole lot smarter after we're dead. Uh, and it's not clear whether it's too late or, or, or still appropriate. What is, what is good is that we still have connection at a DNA level with people here. It's those we call our descendants, our children. They are linked to us through this invisible thread. And it is from there that uh, we want to be able to work harder to correct what we couldn't because we were too short-sighted. You know? And so this is why... Uh, I don't want to come across like I'm advertising it. This is why the, the, the more you mess up while you're here, uh, the more you'll have something to think about when you're there. Uh, and the more you will want to have an active part in the life of your descendant. That's a weird thing, but that's the, that's the way it is. And uh, for some reason, whenever uh, something out of the ordinary begins to happen to us, uh, the... the uh, the first move will be to take it to ancestors and explain it to them. When you explain it to them in the way you are experiencing it, uh, you give them joy. Because all of a sudden, they can tell that you are trying to talk to them too. Because they do, otherwise they're the one doing that all the time. It's a one-way communication. And your simple response, your simple response saying that, well, this is what is going on with me. I don't know what it is, but I want you to be aware that I either like it or don't. That's the beginning of a relationship with ancestors. What that means to me is that there are a whole history of ancestors with you from an unbroken chain. Yeah. Um, and I feel deprived when I hear that because I don't even know what my great-grandfather did when he was here. So I don't even know what name to call him or anything like that. Now, what that means then is that I don't have a guide to go on this journey even if I went on it. You do, you do. Uh, one thing you have and to... And I misunderstand. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. 
what what you usually we refer by ancestors, um, what I've noticed is that people uh, tend to immediately refer to their immediate ancestors. And uh, it's sometimes difficult, as you said, you don't know your grandfather. But there is what we call the pool of the ancestors. It doesn't have to be a person. It can be the tree out there. It can be um, the uh, cows out there. And so if you put an immediate feeling to your immediate family, it can, be, it can bring some bad feeling, I should say. You cannot personalize or custom-made ancestors for yourself. Uh, because then that leads to confusion. Uh, yeah, confusion is what, what is I important feel. is to realize that any person who has lost the physical body is a potential ancestor. And by simply uh, expressing your longing for ancestry, you are attracting a lot of spirits around you. Ignore who your great-great-grandfather was, because he probably just has joined the, 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 this great ensemble of ancestors to the point where you can't even identify. You can't, he's, probably the, the, he's probably the creek running down the, over there. Mm. Yeah. So uh, if, you, if you want to give him a face, it's like I can't remember you unless I see you in that clothes. You know? And so they want to be left spirit, as spirit not with a body. And if you just refer to them, especially even say that, you know, the, the ones that I know the, and the ones that I don't know, but the, those that know me more than I do myself, already you are putting the power over there and you're not beginning, by, uh, beginning with this, this confusion as to whether uh, in the Museum of Ancestry there's one sitting somewhere that you can associate with, you know. You know, just associate, just do random relationship in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I do remember one uh, long time ago, uh, and a conversation with my elders about colonialism. And... Uh, it was a very convoluted conversation. I was trying to make sense. Uh, I was trying to convey, uh, you know, what I know to them. And uh, one little guy in the end just said, you know, we're talking about all of that, but we don't know that uh, when the white man came to Africa, he, was, he came originally for healing. And it didn't, it didn't hit me at the time. It was much later that I realized, yeah, there's some truth to that. When the issues with your own ancestors are problematic and are not addressed. It produces so much combustion inside that sooner or later you will carry that everywhere. And it, it says something about your own sickness, so much so that uh, behind your own violent action is a request for healing, a demand that somehow some being comes to heal you because you are carrying something horrible. I've seen a paradigm of that at a movie, I don't remember, of uh, someone carrying the virus of destruction. But there's a part, the spirit self knowing that this is bad, but not knowing how to get rid of it. And uh, asking for help on the one hand, but laying down the hands of destruction. Uh, and so there's a, there's a paradox in it.
uh, that uh, needs some, as much attention as possible. What I am concerned about is this situation whereby uh, unity is sought by way of producing uh, these two things, a guilt and uh, what do you call the other one? Shame. Shame, guilt on the one hand and victim on the other side. Because once you take on this posture, you will remain a victim the rest of your life, oh, forever. When you sag into the energy of guilt and shame, it is very difficult to climb the ladder all the way to the light. And therefore, my, uh, what I, the picture I'm seeing is that there is, uh, there is this kind of tension going on, a relationship whereby uh, you're dealing with a guilty one and a victim. Neither one is viable. Neither one has any dignity in it. Instead, if uh, through the agency of ancestors, we take that as a sign that we need to reach out to a force higher than either one of us, I as a victim and you as the guilty one, going to ancestors for the, for, the, for the resolution of something that is beyond our own creativity, uh, capacity to grapple with, in fact, we will be doing the right thing. In order for anyone to survive in a world dominated by another one, you have to understand what is going on in the mind of the other. And that knowing is the beginning of protecting self. I now understand more that indeed there is someone in this modern culture that would rather most of us remain ignorant, uh, remain underinformed, in order to give, a, to give himself a better night's sleep. And this is the reason why it feels to me that there has to be somewhat of a shortcut to getting ourselves out of the darkness and into the light so that we don't have to follow someone else's rules. And this is the reason why it feels like that shortcut has to go through the reinvention of ancestral rituals. It has to go through the recreation of proper, radical rites of passage that allow our young children to transit from childhood to adulthood. For our elders to be honored in a way that allow them to function like anchors, giving the rest of us the power to know that we are living for something that is bigger than us and we are willing to die for that big thing. And so the question is, how do we invent or recreate or even remember these rituals so that we can get on with what we are here to accomplish? We cannot go ahead pretending that we have it all, when in fact, 
what we think we have it all has been saved away and hidden away so far that we don't even know where, where we put it. And this is why we have to tell the ancestors to go get it for us. This is considered prayer. It is prayer. It might not have the flavor of wine, but uh, 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 at least they contribute to getting the message across. And more often than not, when you add emotion to what you're saying, apparently emotion is the amplifier of discourse in the other world. It's like you turn the volume up and they cannot help but listen to you. You know what I mean? Uh, they are waiting on the other side for our permission to go to work. They will not take any initiative without our permission. And this is how powerful we are, allowing each and every one to come and tell his or her story to the ancestors, the challenges that you are facing on a daily basis. You will have the chance a week later to see what the ancestors have been, have been able to accomplish in the course of seven days. I suggest that somewhere down the road, this movement drafts every ancestors available so that out there they can contribute to rewriting the socioeconomic rules. We live in a world where it is clearly said that there's not enough for, for everyone. The uh, socioeconomic philosophy of modern days stipulates that indeed there is scarcity. Our ancestors' socioeconomic philosophy used to be that there is enough for everybody. And we sat down there trying to figure out what we we're going to talk about. And Shabonfu uh, asked me, what is the meaning of sex in English? <laughs> well, first I tried to, uh, to give the dictionary definition. Then I realized that no, I got to go somewhere else to figure that out. So I moved into French. And I realized that it's the same word in French. So I went into Dagara to try to figure out, and I realized we don't have a word for sex. So she, she helped me understand that, uh, well, we're dealing with something that is problematic. So, uh, <laughs> so hopefully uh, she's going to tell you why, because I don't know. Uh, <laughs> And uh, uh, that will help us take it from there to find out why it is here, why there's sex here and uh, something else there. And maybe uh, uh, if we can meet somewhere in the middle, we'll get the chance perhaps to add a few more words to this uh, three-letters thing that is so problematic. 
So the Dagora people are, for those who've got a little bit of geographic confusion, they're located somewhere in the center of West Africa. So human relationships, when they begin to deepen, borrow or enter into the canal of ritual. So the closest relationship is a relationship that is constantly happening as a ritual. Now, you may begin to guess where we're heading toward. It is uh, a very complex, but nonetheless, very serious point, which is something that just hit me this afternoon when uh, uh, Shabonfa mentioned the fact, uh, asked me what sex is about in English, which I didn't know. So uh, the point I want to mention is the fact that relationship, in other words, anything close, anything intimate, is impossible without a ritual space. Anything that brings people into expressing to one another something other than uh, the normal day-to-day -day life, anything other than that is touching on the spiritual world, on the, on the ancestral world, and therefore is a ritual going on. The way people are looked at, your essence determines the kind of ritual space or the kind of intimacy that you are going to assume with another person or with yourself and so forth. And therefore, failure to, to stay close to your nature as a, a, a dysfunctional intimacy with your true nature translates into a dysfunctional relationship with the rest of the village or with the rest of the people around you.